Luke chapter 22. Maybe my two last sermons before sabbatical are going to be on a value of ours at the gospel tab. I'm going to root that value in the scriptures. And it's the value of release. I've been thinking about it because you all are releasing me into this sabbatical for three months. But it's a value of ours that has made our movement possible. Um, I don't know if you know this, but if, a couple years ago, we tried to theologically articulate what we felt like God was doing among us at the Gospel Tab and in the Greenhouse Network. And it resulted in a statement of values. Those values are painted on these wood planks out here on the wall in our foyer. But you can read these at the Gospel Tab's website. And soon we're going to have a network website, and you'll be able to read it there too. Um, the online versions contain links to all of the verses that were important to us in thinking about what it meant for us to be the church. Um, and one of those values is release. I want you to hear what we say about this value. This was language that kind of organically sprung up in our movement over the years, and it was rooted in the scriptures for us. Like I said, you can see all those links online, but I'm just going to read to you the value statement today. Release. Organized structures should serve the mission rather than limit the organic movement God creates. We trust that Jesus is head of his church, so we trust him to ultimately lead his people. We prefer shared leadership over celebrity personalities and concentrated power. Biblical leadership serves and empowers rather than controls or keeps people dependent. It is our joy to release new leaders and ministries to God's missional purposes, even if it costs us. We give away our best, including our best leaders. Man, that last line was a prayer that was present in our elder meetings for over a decade. God, we give you our best, even our best leaders. Take our best. Lord, whatever you desire, we just sang it. Lord, even our best leaders, the people who serve us the best and whose gifts and talents and abilities serve the gospel tab, we give them away to you. They do not belong to us. We do not own people. Jesus is head of his church, right? And we meant that and we prayed into that for all of these years. Well, if you look at the links online, one of the passages that's referenced is this one in Luke 22. Here's the setting. Um, Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. Very soon he's going to be arrested and convicted and crucified. Um, but he is sharing one last meal with his disciples. He's about to be betrayed by one of his own. And this is Luke's account in Luke chapter 22. Um, Luke gives us insight to a particular conversation that happened in these final moments, these final hours before Jesus' death. We're going to pick it up in Luke 22, verse 24. It says, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, 
so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, these next verses, verses 31 and 32, I did not include on the slide, but I was walking into the sanctuary, and I felt like the Lord told me to include them. So I'm going to read them, all right? If you have your Bibles open, you can follow. It's just two more verses. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked you to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. All right, I want to talk about release from this passage, what leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. First of all, in this passage, we see that Jesus gives us an alternate kingdom with a completely different value system. He says to the disciples, I confer on you a kingdom, the kingdom that was present in his ministry, God ruling the earth through the presence and power of Jesus. He is now sharing with his disciples. He's done this in other places, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. But he's saying to them, what's been given to me, I give to you. I confer onto you a kingdom. And this kingdom represents an entirely different value system. As Jesus is talking about this, he talks about a form of leadership that, that is more familiar to the disciples and is certainly familiar to us. He says, the kings of the Gentiles have lord it over you and they call themselves benefactors. He talks about this system of kings and of benefactors, of lords and of benefactors. It's a system that we're familiar with, especially as we head into an election, Right? where people want power, claim power. Um, but Jesus turns all of this upside down. And here's something you have to understand about the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus presents a kingdom that is so otherworldly that it's actually hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, a world where the youngest are the greatest, where the servants are the ones with the most honor, it's hard to imagine that kind of world. As a matter of fact, if we read these descriptions of the kingdom of God and we find it easy to imagine, we probably are missing something that Jesus is saying. Jesus consistently holds out to the disciples something that is so otherworldly, so not part of this system, that oftentimes in his teaching, he has to tell stories parables we call them, with handles that they can grab onto. And in these stories of farmers and fields and animals and servants and kings, Jesus is trying to give them something that they can understand so that they can wrap their mind around a reality that's true in heaven, a whole other world that is now breaking into this world. Jesus has to tell them stories so that they can try to wrap their mind around what it is that he's saying because it's a completely different system. The good news is that Jesus presents this system of the least being the greatest and the servants, you know, having the most honor because the system that we are most familiar with, the system of lords and benefactors, just hasn't worked. Maybe it's made people feel safe for periods of time. Maybe it's drawn excitement out of humanity as we celebrate a leader or we celebrate you know, a, a celebrity personality. But overall, this system of lords and benefactors, of kings and benefactors, has not released humanity to its full potential in Christ. Um, it's never achieved that. Even under the best of circumstances. I was reading a 
book recently by an anthropologist, someone who studies cultures, and it was talking about you know, cultures where there's clearly defined lines of authority and someone has authority and someone does not have authority. And it was saying that in some of those cultures, we live in a culture where there's less of that than in most cultures, where you know, equality is one of our values, at least in theory. Um, but in cultures where there's, there's a strong you know, hierarchy, it was saying that oftentimes the people who are lower in the hierarchy don't view themselves as being oppressed they view themselves as having a benefactor. Um, this is how the ancient world viewed it. The, the masses of people who really had no power in the Roman Empire viewed the Roman nobility as benefactors. These people help us. These people care for us. These now, there's some truth to this, right? And we know this as parents, that our kids lean into our leadership, right? If the relationship is good and in the right place, they lean into our leadership for security and safety and support. The problem is, is that if release doesn't happen, right, in that system, then eventually that system of caring for our own kids itself becomes toxic, right? And we never release our kids to their full potential, right? Um, release has to be part of that, the giving away of power. But it's not what's normal. And by the way, this whole system of kings and lords and benefactors is probably no more present than in the church, than in the institutional church, where people typically want their leaders, right, to care for them, feed them, support them. And listen, this is not all bad in and of itself. It's part of spiritual parenting. The problem is, if release never happens, then people never get to experience everything that they were made to be in Christ. It's one thing you have to understand about the scriptures. It has such a high view of humanity. On one hand, the scriptures are so honest about our brokenness and our sinfulness and the inclination of the human heart toward evil. But on the other hand, there is this elevated high view of the potential of humans. In the scriptures, it's human beings who are even greater than angels, right? We are elevated to that place. This is what God sees when he looks at us. But oftentimes the church is the place where people are never really released to everything that God has called them to be. Um, I think the way that Jesus talks about leadership in Luke 22 and elsewhere is so hard for us to imagine that many times in the church we have just given up on this altogether and said, you know what, let's go back to what we know, <laughs> kings and lords and benefactors, this is what you can find everywhere, and let's just try to make it softer. Let's, let's talk about servant leadership. Let's, you know, talk about not controlling people. Let's, but Ultimately, we're just doing a nicer version of the same old thing. I don't think what Jesus is teaching the disciples is just a nicer version of the same old thing. He is conferring onto them a kingdom, a system that has, you cannot find on this earth that is coming from heaven and that is breaking in on the earth. It's a completely different way of viewing things. Because many times throughout church history, we haven't really believed that this is possible, even when the system hasn't worked, I think sometimes we don't examine the structures that are present in the church that get in the way of really releasing the people of God. Here's the truth. Many of the structures that we've inherited in our churches, I'm talking about the organizations and its leadership and all this, many of the structures that we've inherited were not, please hear what I'm saying, they were not created during times of revival. 
Many of them were not created when the Spirit of God was blazing like fire across a land, right? Many of those times felt less like things were in control, right? And felt like God was just doing his own, and the church was just chasing God in the world. Many of the structures that we've inherited, and they're not all bad, it's good to have good order, but those structures often were not birthed out of times of revival. They were often birthed out of times of the church's staleness and trying to control things and conserve resources and make sure that people were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Many of those structures were created during those times. Um, And so we inherit these things, and I think sometimes we don't realize that those structures were not built on this kind of radical release. They were not built taking seriously. Jesus saying, Jesus telling his disciples, you know how this works in the world. There's lords and there's kings and there's benefactors. He says, not so with you. I don't know how many of our, the way we do church, I'm just talking about North America for a second, the way we do church in North America, I'm not sure how much it's built on what Jesus says there, not so with you. That's how the world does it, but not so with you. I confer on you a kingdom. You're part of a different value system, not just a nicer version of the world system. I don't think we realize that many of the models of leadership that we see in the world, and listen, we're all going to vote for who we're going to vote for in, in, I said a couple, I was about to say a couple weeks, but in a couple days, um, we're all going to vote for who we're going to vote for, but listen, you have to realize that many of the models of leadership that are being held out to us are held out uh, to us on a system that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. That's how it works in the world. Not so with you. That's not what leadership looks like. Friends, I want to tell you, and I, I, I say this realizing that there's a lot I don't understand about church and about leadership, but much of the advice that's held out to Christian leaders in seminars and in books and the leaders that we, you know, ri- let rise to celebrity status even in the church, m- many of those, those things are built on the wrong system. Not so with you. Not just a Christianized version of what the world does. Not just a nice version of what the world does. Not so with you. A completely different way of leading. Jesus turns everything upside down. He says, who's greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? And, of course, they know it's the one who sits at the table. Well, Jesus says, I'm sitting at the table as the greatest at this table, but I'm among you as one who serves. As a matter of fact, we know from John, uh, John's account of this same evening, that Jesus on this very night put a towel around his waist and washed their feet. He took the place of a servant, completely flips everything upside down. The system has not worked. It's not released people. And it doesn't just hurt the benefactees. <laughs> it also hurts the benefactors. Can I tell you something? God is shaking things up in the North American church. I do believe he's taking us toward revival. And I think in our little corner of whatever he's doing in North America that we're getting to be part of that. Um, It's not the only place where he's working. But this is one of the fundamental things that he's shaking up. You know, I don't know if you guys remember the Ashley Madison scandal that happened a few years ago. Ashley Madison was this website that tried to find a partner to have an affair with, and there was some kind of breach. It turned out most of the website really was fake anyway, but um, there was some kind of breach, and they released all of the names, uh, you know, publicly of people who were trying to find someone to, you know, commit adultery with, and there were just hundreds and hundreds of pastors' names on that list. I don't know if you remember that. Um, I was around a group of people in that season who were saying, 
oh, this is prophetic. God is doing something. He's shaking up. It's not just that he's revealing the individual sin of people. He's shaking up the structures that have sheltered and hid this kind of sin in the first place. And I'll tell you what, since then, if you've watched the news, it's heartbreaking. But so many of our flagship leaders, I'm not right now, since we're from the tradition we're from, I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church right now. I'm talking about the kind of church that we are a part of, our corner of the Christian church. Leader after leader after leader after leader, people who have written books and held conferences and spoke. We are in a season where leader after leader after leader has fallen. Let me tell you, it's not just that they made bad choices. It's that they participated in a system that did not take Jesus' words seriously. Not so with you. And it took their souls, even well-intentioned souls, into a territory of leadership that is just utterly dangerous. A place where people are worshiping them. A place where all the attention is on them. A place where all of that is toxic to the soul. Jesus doesn't just intend to protect the people who have no power when he says this. He tends to to protect leaders, too. Not so with you. It can't be this way with you. This is dangerous territory. What the world does all the time is toxic for leaders. It's toxic for followers. Not so with you. There has to be a completely different way of doing it. I think this is one of the pieces of revelation that God gave us at the gospel tab, and we do not do all this perfectly, what I'm saying, but I think early on he gave us revelation uh, to try to reevaluate the structures that we had inherited and to ask, how do we take Jesus' words seriously? That the one who serves is greatest. I think one of the first places I saw this in my time here at the Gospel Tab um, was the way that I was hired to be the youth pastor here at a time when there were only two kids in the youth group. So we really couldn't hold a you know, youth group here. And the church leaders at the time, many of whom do not attend our church anymore, the changes were just too hard, but they deserve to be honored. Um, for this decision, um, they released me to be present in the community. And, you know, uh, to start Aliquippa Impact and to serve kids there, and Chelsea and I started holding youth group, you know, down on Franklin Avenue at our house. And, friends, I don't know if you realize it, but that's so unusual that a church would bring someone on staff who they probably knew could serve them and say, you know what, we're not going to use this just for us. We're going to release this to the community. Now, in those early years, one of the biggest criticisms that would reach my ears, often not directly, but indirectly, from people who were talking, um, was that for all of the serving in the community, it seemed that there was no direct payoff, no immediate benefit for us as a church. We were serving all of these people. It wasn't translating into our services growing. Well, now our services are growing in an era, in a time when few churches are growing. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, but the leaders at the time decided that it was worth it to do this, to serve the community, even if there was no immediate payoff. It was the seeds of what Jesus says here coming to life in our church. Let's just serve. Let's just give ourselves away and see what happens and trust God with the results. And then there were other things. You know, I co-pastored here for eight years. Um, It was a unique model that we were stepping into and trying to learn, and some of you attended during those years of co-pastoring, but it was a way for leaders, for two leaders, um, visible leaders in the church, to model dying to themselves week by week, deferring to each other. 
And I see how that has seeded its way into our leadership culture here at the Gospel Tab. As a matter of fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find any ministry here that isn't led by a team of people. You won't find very many celebrity personalities. You won't find, you know, people who are just doing it all on their own in their little corner of the church or the community. What you're finding is people who believe that it's possible to lead from a place of mutual submission. Someone who I respect very much in ministry said to me recently, you could hear the grief in his voice. He said, Joel, I've been in ministry for like 30 years, and I don't know that I've ever really seen people mutually submit to each other. You know what he said to me? He said, why isn't this possible? Why can't this happen among the people of God? Why can't the Spirit of God move among us in this way? The truth is, it can happen. This is what Jesus imagined when we overcome our belief and unbelief and believe that we do not have to do this like the world tells us that we have to do it. Not so with you. Friends, when we talk about a season of repentance and sanctification and humility coming to the church of God before he brings revival, we're not just talking about people dealing with their individual sin. We're talking about the church repenting of the structures that never really let them step into the experience that God dreamed for them, right? And so God began to work all this out of, out of us. And now, if you look at the network and the lab, and even the way you're releasing me to sabbatical, I see evidence all over the place of release, of mutual submission, of not being dependent on just one leader, on not making an idol out of just one leader. One of our, our someone who we really respect, I heard them say this recently, that leaders who aren't turned into idols really can't be scandalized, Right? Um, they're scandalized when we turn them into idols. That's the scandal. That's the news story, is that we turn this person into an idol, and then they fell. And so this is newsworthy. That's really not possible if we don't make idols out of our leaders, right? The scandal is that God would use any of us. The scandal is that he would use any of us in our weakness. That he would, that's the scandal, right? The scandal is that he would choose me, and he would choose you. You want a news story? That's the news story, is that God is using broken people <laughs> in the world, right? It just releases us from all that. You see what I'm saying? Adopting the world system isn't good for leaders. I just feel this joy coming up in me, even as I talk about this, because leadership is a lot more fun when we do it how Jesus told us to do it. The pressure is off. You and me, wherever you lead, you're free to be yourself in that kind of environment, not to be some kind of projection for other people so that they worship you. You see what I'm saying? All right. Secondly, in this kingdom, serving is the path to greatness. Now, there are people in the world, certainly it was true in the Roman Empire, who had just garbage definitions of greatness. Greatness is defined by how many slaves you had. In the Roman Empire, greatness defined just by how much money is in your bank account. Greatness defined by, you know, how much land the Roman Empire conquered. And we know from the word of God, these are just garbage definitions of greatness. But here's what I love about the way Jesus deals with greatness with his disciples. You know, I've heard it preached many times. Like, Jesus is here, you know, it's the Last Supper, and, and he's about to go low. And here his disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I mean, it sounds so prideful. But you know what I love about Jesus with his disciples? He never told them not to desire greatness. What he did is he redefined greatness for them. But he recognized that there was something right. This is the Bible's view on humanity again. 
he recognized that there was something right about them being suspicious that they were great. That's a right thing. That's something that I hope to inspire in you, that we should try to inspire into each other, um, that there is something great in us, that we will rule angels someday. Look, in this moment where the disciples are being tempted towards pride, Jesus even tells them, yes, it's true, someday you're going to sit on thrones in heaven and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. He didn't have a problem with them desiring greatness, and we shouldn't have a problem with that in each other because this is just true. It's who God made us to be. There is greatness that God has invested into us. But what he does do is he redefines greatness for them. Now, I just mentioned some, like, garbage definitions of greatness, you know, money or power. We know in, in the church that these are, not, these are not true definitions of greatness. But let me ask you, just real quick, just a few of you, a few sentences, just what are some good definitions of greatness for the people of God? Like, oh, yeah, that's a worthy goal, or that's something we should try to be great in. Just three or four of you. Could you yell it out? Yeah, compassion. I want to be great in compassion, right? Worthy goal. What else? What's that? Yeah, generous. Oh, Paul says this, right? To outdo each other in love, to try to give more and more and more. I want to be great. I want some of the testimony of my life at the end to be that I gave myself away radically, right? It's a worthy goal of greatness. What else? Yeah, long-suffering, not giving up. By the way, do you hear, as these definitions of greatness come forward, these are the stories of the saints that we tell, right? We tell the stories of people who radically gave themselves away, who didn't give up in the midst of suffering and even persecution. We tell again and again and again the stories of the martyrs because we recognize that there's something great in them, that they were faithful to the end, right? And that God made them to be this. There's all kinds of good definitions of greatness. And I want to tell you, you are free to desire to be great in those ways. But I would just also tell you this, that you can't use a wrong method to get even to a right definition of greatness. What I'm saying is, the way the world achieves greatness, the way the world gets to greatness, you can't just change the definition of greatness and then adopt the world's methods to get there. And we often do this in the church. Jesus says, not so with you. All of the ways that the world tries to get to greatness, right definition, wrong definition, it's the wrong method. It's not how you get there. If you want to know the quickest path to greatness, to the greatness that God is calling forth in you, here it is. Find the place to serve. Find the place to give yourself away radically. Find the place to go low, to defer, to let somebody else speak, to... All of that, just radically choosing to do it. If you're like me, you might see those opportunities around you and think, but is this going to work? Is this actually going to work? If I let someone else talk instead of me, is that actually going to create the kind of influence that would let us get to the place where we want to get in Christ together as a family? The answer is yes. Because every time you defer... Every time you let someone else go, every time you serve, you're making room for God to write his story. You're making room for the kingdom to invade and to write the story that only the kingdom can write. And so no matter the definition of greatness, for instance, who in here doesn't want to be great in holiness? You know, I, I want to be great in holiness. Um, I want to look more and more like Jesus. I want my life to be more and more set apart. What's the quickest path to get there? It's not control. 
And it's not just talking about, what is it? It's vulnerability. It's confession. It's letting you see what's really going on in my soul. That's the quickest way. You seeing a real picture of me. Not the one I project, but a real picture of me with all my brokenness, with all my sin, is the quickest way to grow in the greatness of holiness. You know, I think God has put in some of us a desire for the greatness of the harvest, right? To be part of a great story of harvest, many people coming to Christ and being baptized in water. Oftentimes we think, okay, how do we get there? Well, we have to have money and budgets and power. We have to say the right thing. Let me tell you, the quickest way to get to fruitfulness in the harvest is to go low, to find a place just to serve, to find a place to give ourselves away, to find a place just to be vulnerable. No matter what it is, it's going down that releases the thing that God has put into us. And I love how Jesus does this with Peter in the midst of this conversation. Jesus calls out Peter at this point in the conversation because Jesus, more than anyone, knows the anointing on Peter's life. He knows the greatness that is on this man. And so what does he do? He exposes Peter. He says, he says you're going to get sifted. Your weakness is going to be shown. You're going to mess up and turn away. And then you're going to turn back. And there's going to be this redemption story. Jesus knows that the quickest way for Peter's anointing to be released is for Peter to get broken as quick as possible. And friends, this is true. The more anointing on your life, the more brokenness and suffering will release it. Why? Because it takes you to the place of humility. It takes you to the place of dependence. It takes you to the place of the story not being about my anointing, but about his grace that has been put on my life, about his goodness, right? Um, but it's brokenness that takes us to that place. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Is Jake still here? Oh, brother. Why don't you come up and play? Um, in this kingdom, serving is also what releases others to greatness. So the path to my greatness is through serving. It's the only way. But in this kingdom, it's serving that also releases others to greatness. How do I know this is true? Because Jesus is the greatest in the room, and he takes the place of a servant among his disciples. And it's not just washing his feet, washing their feet that's going to do this. It's ultimately going even lower. In the hours that follow this moment, Jesus is going to go even lower. He's going to endure even more suffering. He's going to take, and do you realize how deep this is? Jesus did not die some glorious death as a martyr. Even that would be the embracing of some kind of greatness. He dies as a convicted criminal. He goes as low as possible. And this is the very thing that released us to greatness. This is the thing that released us to our destiny. If you, if you wonder if going low is going to work, if going low is what actually changes the world, is what accomplishes the harvest, what sees holiness, what, what allows great exploits to be witnessed for God, if you wonder if going low is what leads us to signs and wonders and to water baptisms and to wholeness, if you wonder if that's going to work, well, then look at the cross. Because at the cross, the greatest one went the lowest. And there, all this salvation, all this power spilled forth because he went low. It's how the kingdom of God works. And so 
When I choose to serve you, when I see that as my calling, just to serve you, not to get you to serve me, many, many churches do that. And it's not, it, it, even if it's not about the pastor, it's about the brand that the church has. You have to buy into this brand and you have to, we don't even realize how our systems are built on worldly things. Um, but when we flip all of that upside down and say, look, who, whoever is the greatest at the gospel tab, their role is just to serve. It's to take the lowest point in the room. It's just to serve other people. It means that when I do that, when you do that, we release greatness in each other. Because this is what Jesus did at the cross. Um, man, I was thinking about this this morning, about how this is my story. People served me. And every time they did, it just released more greatness. Um, I had one particular conversation come to my mind this morning. Um, my very first, first two summers in ministry were at a community development organization called the Pittsburgh Project on the north side. And at the time, uh, their founder, Salim Gabril, was still uh, the executive director of the project. He still pastors a church, a Presbyterian church on the north side. And um, I was just remembering one conversation I had with Salim. He was a busy man. There were a lot of people trying to get his attention. So I, I didn't have too many one-on-one -on -one conversations with him, but I did observe him from afar. He had a big impact on my life. What had happened was God had put the seeds of something here in Aliquippa in my heart by that second summer. And I found Salim one time after dinner. All of this to me as I look back on it is so the Lord. Um, I caught him after dinner, and I wanted to basically ask him if he thought I could do this. You know, I wanted, I wanted some kind of affirmation because I, I, there was something in me that didn't believe that kind of greatness was there. It was like, really, I could start something? Some of you have felt that. Really, I could start something? God could use me in this way? I was having trouble believing that because God's love still had deeper to go in my soul, you know, so trouble believing. So I was looking for some kind of affirmation. Um, Salim said, here, we can talk, um, but follow me. And uh, you know what Salim was doing while we talked? I think this is so the Lord. He was taking out the trash from dinner that night. <laughs> um, my memory with him is at the dumpster in the back of the Pittsburgh Project. Because um, here he was just serving, you know, just taking out the trash. We never outgrow that in the kingdom of God. It's what releases greatness, right? Oh, that we would trip over each other, take out the trash. It's just what greatness looks like, you know, in the kingdom of God. And so I'm watching him, you know, take out the trash. Um, and I'm talking to him. And I just said, Slim, do you think I could do this? You know, do you think that there's something in me that could do this? And man, a lot like Jesus did with Peter in this passage. Um, he served me by creating room for the real me. I remember I said to him, I said, I'm not sure that all my motives are right. They weren't. And no one gets into ministry without some screwed up motives. You know, we hope that even serving in the church, even ministry, will let us climb the ladder of greatness as the world defines it. Um, and I, I was aware enough of that. And so I said to him, I just feel like there's some motives that aren't right. You know what? Salim didn't give me some kind of fake pep talk that was like, no, I think you're fine. You can do it. You know what he said to me? He said, I'm sure your motives are messed up. 
He said, they're, they're messed up in all of us. He said, but to me, Joel, that sounds like something that Jesus will deal with in you. I will sift you like wheat. And you will turn. Um, Jesus is just this totally safe place for us to bring our brokenness, our true selves to it. Just disables everything about kings and lords and benefactors. Just takes all of that away. All the pressure is off. Um, and he said, I'm sure you do have that. He said, but I know that Jesus is going to work that out in your soul. Um, I remember distinctly having the thought while Salim was talking to me. He was such a busy dude, and I'm still not good at this. But I remember it just felt like I had his full attention. Just for a few moments while he took out the trash and talked to me, he was serving me. And there's just something about that conversation that just unlocked a possibility of greatness in me. See, when we serve each other in our brokenness, Jesus isn't calling Peter great because he thinks Peter is better than what he is. Jesus, more than anybody, more than Peter, knows who Peter is. He knows the brokenness that's present in this man. But he comes alongside of him and serves him in that moment. And he's unlocking something that God has put into Peter. When we learn just to give ourselves away and serve each other, it's what I hope to do with people in leadership development. For however long God lets me walk beside developing leaders, I hope that I, I, as before God, I know I don't do it right all the time, but before God, I hope it's not about them serving me or me controlling them. You can find plenty of that power structure in the world. Not so with us. I hope it looks like me just serving, just showing up and serving, and that somehow in the simple act of serving that God unlocks something. You know what that kind of leadership creates? I was thinking about Salim. I don't view Salim as some kind of celebrity when I think about him. He's a hero of mine, but I don't, I don't view him as some kind of celebrity, some kind of perfect person. You know what I think of when I think of that kind of leader is gratitude. And that's what happens with leaders who serve. Their legacy isn't people worshiping them and being shocked when they find out that they're not who they said they were, that they're not God. Um, the legacy just becomes gratitude. I'm just grateful that they were in my life and that I was in their life. I'm just grateful that we got to take part of this journey together. It's just this gratitude that comes out of those kinds of relationships that's directed toward God. I don't know. I know we're not there yet. I mean, I love the way God is showing us this at the Gospel Tab. I want to tell you, as lead pastor of the Gospel Tab, that it is so good for my soul to be leading in this kind of environment. In this kind of environment where I am known and you love me and I get to serve you and walk beside you and that's what you want, it guards my soul from certain sin that comes when we view leaders as kings and benefactors, um, you build a hedge around my soul. This is what love does for each other. We are actually involved in God's sanctification for each other. We're actually building walls around each other that protect against sin, right? Um, because we're relating to each other in humility and service. Whew, Steve. <laughs>